Well, here we are. Boy, this year's gone so fast, hasn't it? It's Thanksgiving. Can you believe that? As we, uh, as we move into this week, uh, uh, there's all kinds of things uh, going on, but I've titled this uh, sermon, uh, A Step Beyond Thankfulness, and uh, Stepping into Joy. And what I want to do with this is I want to I tie a big picture together with our study in Galatians about the freedom that we have in Christ as Christians, that there are things that God has done within our lives and our hearts, and yet to, to move this into the spirit of thanksgiving and then into the holidays of Christmas, I'm going to tie these together to think about this theme of uh, stepping into joy and the idea that there's freedom wherever the spirit is, there's liberty, but wherever the spirit of liberty is, there is thanksgiving. And as we move into this theme today about Thanksgiving, I, I just have two ambitions. One is I really want you to be aware that God is doing something more that if you are sensitive to what's happening in your world and in your life and in your relationships, that God is at work if you have the ability to see him and, and know that his hand is blessing you through all things. And as you understand that there's something Second thing is, not only that you would be aware of his blessing, but that you would go beyond the blessing to the blessor. And so as, as we get into this, uh, the, the sermon this morning, it'll be an ongoing thing that leads us into the joy of Christmas and how the Messiah comes in because it's a time of gift and gift giving and seeing how God is a giver of joy. But here we are at Thanksgiving. And so when you think about your Thanksgiving growing up, uh, how many sat in front of the TV and watched the Macy Day Parade? That's always part of the Thanksgiving. And so it's, uh, it's different this year. We won't have the same. Uh, has anybody been to Macy's Day Parade? I've never had that experience. And yet it's a wonder to think about how all those people would line the streets. And if you're in the north, northern corridor there, northeastern corridor, that's a big attraction. I've never been able to do that. And yet, uh, this year is going to be virtual, as everything has changed, everything has touched, it's different. But going back home uh, to your memories, uh, when you think about Thanksgiving growing up and being at the table with all, everyone, we've had uh, Thanksgiving at our house with as many 40, 40, 45 people in one place, and so we have a big family. We love getting together with family. So... I don't know what your memories are, but if you have a small family, it's still a wonderful time, isn't it? What are the memories that you have that you go into Thanksgiving? Well, there's a time, uh, as you think about Thanksgiving, there's a time when the lady was picking through the frozen turkeys, trying to figure out which one to get for her family, but she couldn't find one that was big enough for everybody. So she asked the stock boy, do these turkeys get any bigger? The stock boy says, no, ma'am, they're dead. That's pretty bad, isn't it? Uh, Butterball has a hotline, 1-800-323-4848. For those who don't know how to cook turkeys, <laughs> I don't know how to, haven't done that yet. But Thanksgiving dinner on the run, a woman called the hotline to find out how long it would take to roast her turkey. Well, to answer the question, the talk line 
home economist said, well, that depends. How much does the bird weigh? She says, I don't know. He's still running around in the backyard. It depends on where you start this sermon. You know, some people don't have the bird ready. So, But my, what I want to do is get us ready for Thanksgiving. And, and you're at different places, depending where you're coming from. I don't know if you're ready for Thanksgiving. And what I want to do is I want to, uh, again, uh, bring an element of, of, of a spiritual dimension as a Christian perspective that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And wherever the Spirit of the Lord is that brings the freedom, there's a freedom in the heart, the, the heart set free, to really be thankful. Over and over again, we see in Paul uh, how how thankfulness and walking in the Holy Spirit go together. And so, as I get into this material, I just want to give credit to uh, some of the sources of the ideas that C.S. Lewis uh, was a guy that turned me on to uh, this idea of desires that are beyond desires. We'll talk about that in a minute, but called sensucht, the German word meaning longing. And uh, we'll talk about that. Uh, Another man, Gilbert... My lender, he talks about a, a taste for the other. There's something beyond this world that really is calling us to really enjoy life in a way, in a different level, in a different dimension. And then also Dan Allender, in uh, some teaching that I've been with him, uh, of, of talking about how desires get distorted and the dark side of desires. But the wonder of desires, he and Larry Crabb would talk about that there's something that you were built for, and that built-in component is that there's, you are a person of passion. You're a person who's on the move, looking, seeking, wanting, desiring things. And so, as we get into this, uh, as we get into the message this morning, I just want to give you the, the highlight of the first, is that... Uh, to be fully human, to be fully Christian, to be fully alive in Christ means that you're going to have a certain attitude, Christ's attitude, as he walked in the world, as he, as he saw things and as he interacted with people, that his heart can be your heart, his mind can be your mind. And as we walk thinking how he had the cross before him, and it says in Hebrews, for the joy set before him. God is a God of joy. And the joy of Jesus isn't talked about a lot, but you understand that what drove the heart of Christ to that cross was you and me. The joy that he has in getting you, he would do it again. And there's something about this that just supersedes everything. Once you really begin to realize the God we worship is so magnificent and, 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 and is at work, and yet there's a difficulty for us really understanding that. David would say, Whom do I have in heaven but thee? And besides thee, I desire nothing else on earth. He says in um, Psalm seventy-three twenty-four, he says, My heart and my flesh may fail. But God is the portion of my heart. And as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Whom do I have in heaven but you? 
For to say, besides you, I desire nothing else on earth. How could somebody say that? My, my heart is filled with desires. Lots of desires. And, and God isn't always the number one desire. As I think about how crazy my heart is and how easy it is to be distracted, and, I, and you're just like me, so I know I'm, I'm good company. The idea, that, the idea that God would somehow be so fulfilling, so attractive, so wonderfully inviting that you lose focus on everything else and there's no contention, there's no competition when you love Christ. And yet, the crazy thing is, with Jesus being the wonderful Savior that he is, why is it that so many people don't want him? That's a crazy thing for me. It's a curious thing. And so, my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, David would go on to say. And therefore, as we get into this uh, this teaching, the, I want to start with Romans 1, because Romans 1, we have a, a problem. We have habits of the fleshly heart, and we have habits where we don't seek the Lord to fulfill us. And I've, heard, I've said before, if, if God isn't meeting your deepest needs, then meeting your deepest needs becomes your God. Look at Romans 1. Uh, Paul begins to talk about this, that there's an ungrateful spirit. And this is the beginning of our downward spiral away from the Lord. Do you know that the road to prison as a murderer, as a pervert, as a thief, as one who's an atheist, all start at the same door? And that door is unthankful. To have an ungrateful spirit, Paul says it this way. He says, uh, the, the gospel, Jew or Greek, the gospel is the power of salvation. Uh, for those who, who want to really come back to Christ, he says in the first part that uh, this is made known by faith. But he goes on to 21. He says, even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. The first thing you can tell if somebody's interested or not interested is a thankful spirit of, of how they respond to all the things that God has done for everyone, each one of us, but to refuse to acknowledge that God has made us and God has given us blessings and to refuse to be thankful is the first step away from the light and you turn into darkness and your heart becomes foolish. But it becomes an unthankful. So you have an ungrateful spirit that God has to deal with. And this is from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Uh, you know the story of Israel being taken out of Exodus, out of, out of a pathetic slavery in Egypt and brought into the wilderness and God blessed them and blessed them. There's a promised land coming. There's a journey. You're on your way and God provided it. But every step of the way, they grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said, if we only had died in the land of Egypt, if we only had died in this wilderness, I just want to get out of it. I don't want this pain. I don't want this situation. And therefore... Instead of having a heart that was desiring what God's purposes were, 
they had their own purposes and they walked away and became ungrateful and they had a grumbling spirit. And that's true always, that if you don't understand, if you don't understand the Lord and you're turning away from the source of living waters, then you will walk with a spirit of a deep discontent. And then with that spirit of discontentment, can you live with an unsatisfied heart? Can you live with unfulfilled desires? How can you live with a broken heart? The Bee Gees joins Bruce Springsteen and he, he asks that. And then Jesus answers, don't, you guys don't understand. Life is not on the physical plane at all. There's the physical plane, but man shall not live by bread this sustenance, this nourishment on the physical level. There's another level that you're not thinking about to live according to the will of God. But that's kind of crazy for some people. And to think about this, if you're not in tension, if you're not wondering what, what the Bible says, it, it really will cause you to, to struggle with the Lord in a way that's engages him like Jacob would wrestle with God. But Paul would say it this way, in everything give thanks. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will, purpose, pleasure, desire for you in Christ. Do not quench the Spirit. In all of that, thankfulness is embedded. Everywhere you go, when you see the Spirit, and you see, when you see this admonition to be God-centered as opposed to life-centered or circumstance-centered or people-centered, that says not everything give thanks. Are you kidding me? I remember as a young Christian, golly, this has knocked me for a loop. I thought, what kind of God are you? I just finished my finals. I had a girlfriend in Kankakee I was going to go visit. A friend loaned me a 1971 GTO. And coming around that corner on a rainy day like today, it was more rainy like today, uh, I did not negotiate a curve. And I hit a guy who I saw him leap over to the passenger seat and I could have killed him. I thought, what on earth happened? I sat there in that driver's seat after that accident, and you know what this sound is. Metal, kissing metal, and, and the glass, and oh, I don't want to open my eyes. I can't believe this just happened. Because everything I was looking forward to was just destroyed. And as a young Christian, I didn't know how to handle that. You ever been in that situation? And so you begin to blame God or question, why did this happen? Why did this happen? And I went back to the college dorm and I told my friend, I told him through a car. And just, uh, I thought, I'm going to have to leave school. I was just, I was threatened in so many ways that it was going to change my life. And Nick came into the room. And he was a Christian. He was a campus pastor. And he, and he, I, I didn't want to hit him. But he said, I just want to show you something, Jerry. And he turned, he licked his finger and he turned to Deuteronomy 8.2. And I'll never forget this passage because I thought, you have got to be kidding. And in Deuteronomy 8.2, God says to the Israelites, all the commandments that I'm commanding you this day 
shall be, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you into this wilderness these 40 years that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. Whether you would keep his commandments or not, he humbled you and let you be hungry. And he fed you with manna that you did not know. Nick would go on to say, Jerry, have you given thanks for this accident? And I looked at him, I thought, you are nuts. You, are, you want me to give thanks for this horrible accident? And that was the first time I ever ran across a passage that said, consider it all joy, my brother, when you encounter accidents. I don't think that way, do you? No, because the way we think about life, uh, I don't think about giving God thanks and everything. That wasn't the natural habit of my heart. But, and, and here's the point. Here's the point for us. In this time of Thanksgiving, as we come into our small groups. We won't have Thanksgiving at our house. Others won't have them at your house. But this is a difficult year to celebrate Thanksgiving. We won't be together with loved ones. We're separate. We've lost people. Uh, people who've, who've passed because of COVID won't be at the table. It's a sad time for many people. You feel that. I feel that. Beyond that, the political turmoil, the racial tension, the unemployment... The climate change, people I'm talking to are just, they're just bored and they're, they're just, there's lots of going on in the human spirit, but it's not thankfulness. There's a loneliness and isolation. This is the, the groaning that Paul talks about in Romans 8. Usually, Thanksgiving is a time of harvest, time to relax, time to kick off with Macy Days. It says, now, Life is good, and we can celebrate. But this year is not that way. Even so, even so, our Thanksgiving shouldn't be a periodic thing once a year. As, as Paul was saying, it's to be a lifestyle, a permanent, occupa- a permanent occupation with the fact that God has sent us something to experience this day on earth in my life before I die and go to, to the grave. This is a meaningful time. And to give thanks for everything that happens. Uh, but as the writer said, it's wearisome. You go through things and you go through things. When will this ever stop? And yet, when you start to try to handle life's problems with coping mechanisms and medications and other things, you end up doing things to your very heart. Did you get that part in Ecclesiastes? The eye is never satisfied. This is the root of pornography. The ear is never satisfied. This is the root of gossip and and information technology. I want to know more. I want to see more. And yet the more you get, the more you want more and you get into an addictive pattern where you've turned away from the Lord. Come now, I will test you. 
to find out what is good. But this is all madness and meaningless. If Christ isn't there, you're on a continual treadmill to find some satisfaction that's not available. Man shall not live by bread alone. Didn't Jesus say that? Thanksgiving comes. What immediately comes into your mind six hours after the dinner? Shopping. And if it's not in the brick and mortar buildings, we wait for Monday, which is Cyber Monday. The two biggest days of the year to shop. And yet, I want to start with this this idea about thinking about our attitude towards living in this world and all that's God doing. And so the questions I start with is, you think of all the stuff that you see. Why did God create the world, all these things in the first place? Remember in Genesis, he said, this is good, and this is good, and this is good, and this is good, and this is good. Why did God do all these things? I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Now, you've seen this. The Cliffs of Moore. You've, if you've traveled, you get caught up with, why did God cut his, take his hand and cut out that ocean so that rock is up there? And, so, and you see this beautiful, wherever you've been in the world, you, you begin to wonder, like, how did God, why did God do that? But why did God not just make the earth? The animals, all the animals. He is having fun with his creation. He's delighting because our God is a God of joy. He loves these things. He's having fun. He's a humorous God. Now, admit it. You love to eat turkey, right? Isn't this a beautiful bird? Isn't this just a lovely specimen? And and you just adore that drumstick. Now, who would ever have thought that a to design a turkey to look like that. That's amazing. <laughs> He's a sense of humor. He says, I'm going to have fun with this winged, and this is winged bird, and this is good. But the world is filled with things that just mesmerize us. The star of Africa, the world's largest diamond, 370 carats. You get to things, and then you open up to whole places where... If you, you begin to think of what life is like in Singapore, and if you live in Singapore, you live in Hong Kong, you live in Japan, you live in Chesterland, no matter where you go, you have the same question. Why did God create all those things? And Paul, uh, John says in Revelation 4, You are worthy, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And by your will, the King James says, By your pleasure. God created all things to be pleasing. You are meant for pleasure. You were meant to be one who is delighted in and delights, and you become a delight for some other people. You are also a source of joy. You are a woman, you are a man created in a good way because he is a good God and a God of joy. Well, in light of all these things, whether it's circumstances or illness or cancer or the world we live in, you are in the Lord's universe. He is the Lord. And he created all these things for his pleasure and for yours. 
And so as we get into this, we think to be fully human, to be a human, that our, our attitude towards these things it involves that we have a certain disposition, a certain posture, a certain way of thinking about these things. And I'm, I'm just going to mention them today, uh, only in one, and then I'm going to skip the others. But our attitude towards things, material things, that theologian Madonna I'm a material girl. I'm a material man. And I'm an immaterial man. Material, immaterial, what you see, what you don't see, was built for glory, was built for honor, was built for pleasure. And yet the same things, the attitude towards things, or the attitude towards people, your attitude towards cancer, your attitude towards accidents, your attitude... All that's happening in your life and all that you are in yourself is rooted in the fact that God put within you a heart that desires. And those desires, when touched, bring forth a real thankfulness. Thankfulness. And yet a wrong attitude, and here's the point, a wrong attitude towards God a grumpy, groaning, complaining spirit. When you have a wrong attitude towards the things of God, Satan, self, and others, it will destroy your joy. It will darken your desires. And what was meant for worship becomes a war. It's interesting that God wants us to be protected from things that destroy our soul because with the wrong attitude we become disappointed. God, you didn't do enough. Family, you didn't do enough. Work, you're not paying me enough. (laughs) And then it turns into a demanding spirit. That demanding spirit, I want what I want. And Satan comes along and says, good, I can help you with that if you fall down and worship me. I will give you the means that you want if you just stay away from him. And the Spirit of God knows what the Spirit of the world is doing. And yet, when you don't get what you want, and then you start manipulating the world. Because if God isn't going to do it, if you want something done, do it yourself. And so you take over. And that's where you get to this point where when Jesus says, you shall worship him. But make no mistake, there's so much teaching in the New Testament. What Jesus says about things. And what he says about things is in Luke twelve fifteen to summarize it, and there's lots of these things. He says, uh, be on guard. Watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. The eye is never satisfied. The Black Fridays are never enough. And therefore, be on guard against greed. Life, life, life does not consist in the things that you possess. Because what you possessed as a teenager doesn't satisfy you as a young man. And what satisfied you as a young man doesn't satisfy you as you you add another five years. And add another ten years, you find yourself trying to 
get more, get more, get more, and find there's more life out there, but nope. And someone in the crowd said to Jesus, uh, you know, Jesus, I give me that inheritance. When money comes involved, relationships change, don't they? And somebody says, give me the inheritance. And in response, Jesus says, hey, life is not in your inheritance. Your contentment is not in your 401k. And Jesus confronted the man. He said, well, Jesus, you, do, you want me to settle this issue? And Jesus says, don't use me. And Jesus knew that this man was using Jesus to get his inheritance. Jesus is very sensitive to how people use people. Beware, be on your guard, even when it has an abundance. And you go to garage sale and garage sale and garage sale, you see all these abundance things that people are trying to get rid of. (laughs) But towards the created material world, to the relational world, to Satan and his minions, if we give attention to these, we find our security in them. But not to have that idea that this is not my life. This is not my identity. To own things without having them own us. To possess things, as Tozer would say, without being possessed. The blessedness of possessing nothing and yet enjoying everything. That's what God wants for us. C.S. Lewis brought this out in the story of Narnia. Lewis's work talks a lot about this and I'm going to give a much more intro to this topic except to say you know the story of Edmund when he goes into the, the winter wonderland of Narnia and he meets the white witch and there the witch gives him he's, and she says what do you want to eat and he says Turkish delight and she gives him I don't know how many boxes of Turkish delight and he's just eating away and, and Edmund all of a sudden gets so obsessed and addicted to Turkish delight that the only thing he wants is Turkish delight to the point and the detriment of his relationship with his family. He blabs off all the secrets. He's caught up and he doesn't even aware. He's not aware of how the temptation has possessed him so much that he can't enjoy regular joy. Because he has an expectation that nothing's going to satisfy him except Turkish delight. And the point is this. Things are made to be enjoyed, used. People are made to be loved. But when you start loving things, you start using people. And when your desires become the Lord of your life, you'll start manipulating the world and turn your back on God. This is the point that... that I just want to move to the last part of the sermon with this idea that sen- sensakt, it's a German word. It's a, fun, it's a fun word. It's a great word. It means that there's a longing, a yearning, a desiring that will not be met here. And yet, given a gift, given a blessing, if you don't understand the power and the purpose of that gift, it means that the desire that is being aroused in you is to lead you beyond the gift to the very giver. To be focused on the immediate is to miss the infinite. 
and the fact that God would give you many, many blessings. C.S. Lewis says they're like, well, he didn't say it. They're not like Cupid's arrows, or, but they are a shaft of pleasure that's make you aware of the fact, oh, I feel great. This is wonderful, and I want more of it. It's those shafts of pleasure, of delight, that are God's calling to recognize he is the giver of all good gifts from above. And the gifts are to remind you of the giver, to lift you out of the blessing, to think about some other purpose that your human heart really wants. For example, how many of you had the feeling, uh, if you've seen a child, it, it was a simple, it's a simple little thing. Lucy gave me this little picture of, of Calvin the dog and, and Biscuit. and She brought several other things. And, I t- and you know, it's just, it wasn't so much the picture. I enjoy those little pictures. You've seen them. But it's this wonder that I see in her eyes. And just, it's, it's I left this gift, of, I put it on my door and taped it up because it's a, it just reminds me of being a childlike spirit that's so free and to give and love. Because and, it's not the gift. It's the joy of the gift. And she gave me that little joy. Same way when you greet a baby in the early morning, the baby first wakes up. Or when you lay with your spouse and, your, and, and you turn to each other. Or you realize that when you look in the casket, how much love there has been given to you through this long beloved one passing God sends a myriad of blessings and we don't see him because we're focused on the immediate sin sucked will say God this person this friend this circumstance this good thing all comes from you for your pleasure they were created And for my pleasure, you sent it to me so that I can enjoy you even more. You are a gift. And you touch people's lives with a sense of wonder and joy. And when you do that, you fulfill that touch, that sin suck, that that there's life realized. But if you don't have that God-given spirit and you have relationships that are disappointing, your heart's sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a longing fulfilled is sweet. Better than Turkish delight. And yet that's what God does. He sends so many good gifts to us. And as we do so, as we recognize, all these things are to remind us what David said. Whom do I have in heaven but thee? And besides thee I desire nothing else on earth. Our attitude is to have the right attitude where the Spirit of God sets me free to be thankful and to be longing and to enjoy without being possessed or controlling. And that wrong attitude will destroy the very spirit of thankfulness and bound me to a possessiveness that I shouldn't have. The Lord wants you free to enjoy. This Thanksgiving, let me just close by saying, God's blessed us so much, so richly, and we need to return with thankfulness. If you haven't had a chance this week to
to get 15 minutes away, half an hour away or more, and tell the Lord how thankful you are for his son bringing you salvation, for the spirit that sets your spirit free to be thankful, and to come back to say, everyone you meet is a gift sent by God to bless you to enjoy you so that you would also be a blessing and they would also you would also be enjoyable enjoying others well as we move into this thanksgiving uh, season like paul i hope your heart's really set free on desire to say lord i want you more than anything and i want my wife i want my friends i want my kids i want everything that you have and yet you don't have everything satisfied yet because we're not home. There will be a day when all of your heart's desires will be fulfilled. Not now, but then when he comes, it's going to happen. It's called heaven. But for now, let me leave you with this. Spend some time with the Lord and think about the desires of your heart and say, Lord, here's my heart. Take and seal it.